You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. I seek consciousness, so I explore dreams. Dreams are an altered state of consciousness, and dreams are bizarre. Walking streets with no shoes or no clothes. Taking final exams without having studied. Throughout history, dreams have fascinated and mystified. Messages from the gods, expressions of the subconscious. Much about dreams are myth, but what is not myth is that dreams are felt inner awareness. It is like something to have a dream. Dreams are doors to the mind. Can dreams open new vistas of consciousness? What are dreams about? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out. Dreams can seem as if pure consciousness, dense mental packets of intense subjective feeling, an inner world of complete credulity where even the outrageous is normal. Of the interpretations of dreams, there are no limits. But can dreams be studied scientifically? Well, we dream when we are asleep. So I begin in Boston at Harvard with a leading expert on the science of sleep, the director of the Center for Sleep and Cognition, Robert Stickgold. Bob, to understand consciousness, we have to understand dreaming. I can tell you that all the bizarre dreams that I have just seem like nonsense. There's a new science today. How does that help us understand the state of consciousness called dreaming? Dreaming has to be about the weirdest thing out there. I, you know, when we try to study it scientifically, we know that if they're in rapid eye movement sleep, what we call REM sleep, they're more likely to be dreaming mm. than if they're in non-REM sleep. But we still can't look at any measures that we know how to take and say, now she's dreaming, now she's stopped dreaming. So, so all we have is the verbal reports that people give us. And that's kind of scary because as all of us know, those dreams are kind of ephemeral. They're hard to remember. So that's, that's the first problem. And then the second problem is, what should we do with them? And Alan Hobson, back in the, in the 70s, came up with this idea that we shouldn't look at the actual content first, what the dream is about, but just look at the structure of it. So what we find is that dreams tend to have certain characteristics that are different from thoughts and images we have during waking. Maybe the most obvious one is that we're delusional about them. When we dream, no matter how improbable or impossible the dream is, we casually going along absolutely believing it's true. 
The dreams tend to be stories. They tend to have characters in them besides herself. They tend to be emotional, and they tend to be bizarre. And what we tend to be most aware of are, is the bizarreness and, of course, their intense visual vividness. And what we find in the content is still sort of confusing. We find that there's lots of references to things from the last day, but we don't replay what happens in the day. We looked at a series of, of 400 dream reports where people isolated about five or 600 events in their dreams where they say, I know what that's from in my waking life. But in only one or two of those, did it look like the brain was actually replaying what happened in waking. So we don't replay the events. So when I say, oh, I dreamt about this car accident I was almost in, I don't play it out in my dream the way I do when I remember it in waking. In my dream, I'm at an amusement park with my son and we're on bumper cars. And he's laughing and having a great time. And I'm saying, this is kind of scary. I don't like it. And I don't even remember in my dream that I was almost in a car accident. It's almost out there by itself. And I wake up and I say, I dreamt about that because I was almost in that car accident, but there's almost nothing left of it. And so they both seem to be meaningful and they seem to be meaningless. It sounds like there's some executive function that's missing. It's just sort of a disinhibition that everything is sort of happening and we don't have that critical faculty about us. So we know from brain imaging studies that when you go into REM sleep, two things that are going on is, first of all, the prefrontal cortex, which is where we have our executive control, where our rational, logical thinking and our planning comes from, whoomp. It's turned off. So we don't have that faculty. You're right. We don't have the ability to think rationally and plan when we're in REM sleep. And it turns out also that information that comes from a structure deep in the brain called the hippocampus, which is involved in remembering events from our life, that flow of information seems to be shut off too. So all we sort of have are these vague pieces of memories and the associations that we've made between them to construct the dream out of. And boy, they can look strange. And sometimes they just look dumb, and sometimes they look profound. And it depends on how, how much when we wake up, the associations we form on waking, how much they touch deep issues in our life versus being annoyed by a stoplight that we got stuck at. And so sometimes the dreams feel silly and sometimes they feel important, but they never show us anything clearly in the way that you might ask, because that's not, I think, what the brain's trying to do at that time. I think in that period of sleep when we're dreaming, the brain is trying to see how things fit together and how scenarios might play out in the future. And so it puts the most bizarre things together and just lets you watch as the brain plays them out. Do dreams do anything? Robert says that the brain uses dreams to play out scenarios, testing how things might fit. Yet the brain's executive control areas get switched off, so the contents of dreams are bizarre. Inner sensations and feelings are richly present. This is consciousness. But is there purpose? I have in my dreams 
elements from my waking life. People, places, actions. But never the way they actually happened. Always oddly strung together. Mushed and mangled together. Can an evolutionary perspective help? After all, if brains evolved, dreams evolved. I continue at Harvard's behavioral medicine program with the editor-in-chief of the journal Dreaming, evolutionary psychologist Deidre Barrett. Deidre, what does a theory of dreams have to explain? First of all, it, we need to explain just why is there any content to our nighttime sleep? And secondly, why is it so bizarre, so visual, so nonverbal compared to our waking mm -hmm. experience? And thirdly, either what is it for? What is its function? Or if it doesn't have one, sort of why does it exist, given that evolutionary theory right. suggests most things should have some function? Right. So uh, what, what are some of the theories um, out there? Certainly everybody knows Freud, yes. that, that there's these unconscious uh, um, drives or repressions or sexuality or different things that, that are the pressure of dreams. Yeah, and most of the psychoanalytic ones all have to do with sort of unconscious mechanisms that are there to take care of unconscious conflicts, which don't really sort of make a lot of practical sense mm. as an adaptive mechanism. And some of them have some very negative, self-defeating kinds of theories behind them. But more within biology, modern thinking, there are some theories that say that rapid eye movement sleep, REM sleep, which is when most dreams occur, that it has some cause and posit dreams as just completely an epiphenomena or spandrel is a term for something that's just riding on something else that has a function. That, words, the brain that has REM to... has a function and dreams don't. That's... So REM has a function of cleaning up the brain or getting the brain better uh, metabolically or better organizationally in terms of its electrical activity. And because you're engaging different parts of the brain, that triggers the, the dreams which are the froth riding on the wave. And it has no cause it affect no relationship to anything else we think it does we imagine all these things the freudian stuff but it's really kind of totally irrelevant yeah and then most of uh, most psychologists and psychiatrists who think much about dreams probably still believe some version of the more psychoanalytic ideas mm -hmm. that dreams are handling taboo impulses or they're trying to express things in some intentionally disguised manner and even today, I think we've we've got people who would say that they think dreams have some divine origin. Oh, that well. that's more of a historic <laughs> view, right. but that's that's still right. So so there's a huge range. So of you go ideas. from the pure biology where dreams are a, a froth, mm -hmm. to dreams being the core of our subconscious, which drives everything we do, to it's a mere thing. Now your personal approach focuses on dreams as a, a, a source of problem solving and creativity. Yeah. I they're meaningful. I, I think that probably many of their characteristics are there because of the necessities of REM sleep and that a lot of it is biologically determined. Mm -hmm. Why we're in this exact biochemical state may have more to do with replenishing transmitters. But then once we are, it looks like we stay concerned with the same issues and are trying to 
problem solve and think about things in in dreams. And certainly, I'm not saying that most of the time we make great solutions. <laughs> most of our waking thinking doesn't come up <laughs> with great solutions in any few minutes either. But sometimes dreams make breakthroughs. And there, there are a lot of anecdotes about famous examples of major creativity or major scientific problem solving. But I've also done research on just uh, much more mundanely college students uh, trying to solve problems in their dreams. And I found that about half of the students in a course of a week of doing that dreamed about their problem, as mm -hmm. in the topic of the problem clearly showed up in the dream as rated by objective raters as well as, as the students. And then about half of those had a solution, so one-fourth. Deidre raised three issues. Why dreams at all? Why are dreams bizarre? What are dreams for? Using evolutionary theory. She dismisses Freud and psychoanalysis as if a primitive shaman and his superstitious myths. So does the science of dreaming suggest that our nocturnal mental adventures are accidental results of brain biology housekeeping? Not deep manifestations of hidden psychological purpose? Fighting words, I enter the psycho wars. I head to London to meet a quantum physicist who lauds the theories of psychoanalyst Carl Jung. Imperial College professor, Christopher Isham. Chris, you're a physicist, you've studied Carl Jung. How, how can you help me to understand what dreaming is all about? Well, my own personal experience, and every, I think every psychoanalyst, Jung or Freud or anybody would agree with this, is the different sorts of dream. Um, there are the random dreams where you just, I may dream of you tonight, you see. <laughs> I hope not. Oh, well, I never, yeah, I hope not. But there are other dreams that Jung called big dreams, which are quite different. Uh, and I've had a, quite a lot of big dreams in my time. In fact, for two years, I kept a diary, a dream diary of my big dreams. And they're extraordinary things. They're extremely coherent. They're not just the randoms, not at all. They're telling a definite story, quite complicated sometimes, very clear, all fits together, and so forth. Uh, very often, in my case, it was involved with battle between good and evil and things like that, and also clearly associated in some way with my mystical views about nature and things like that. Now, these big dreams are what um, psychoanalysts would tend to look at, uh, not the general noise. Uh, now, many people say they don't get these big dreams, but actually it's quite easy to generate them, you know. I mean, every, again, any analyst knows this. If you start with a pad of paper by your bed at night, when you wake up in the morning, wake up in the middle of the night, particularly in the middle of the night, write down what, what's in your mind. Just write it down, whatever it is. And what happens over a period of time is doing that tends to generate deeper dreaming. That's just a thing that's been noticed. So if you want to experience big dreams, I mean, personally, in some of my dreams, the emotions I experienced were far more powerful than anything I've ever experienced in my conscious life. So of course they have an impact on me. I mean, they affected me for days sometimes afterwards. Uh, so I, I take those experiences extremely seriously. But the claim is not made that there's some relationship between those big dreams and an external reality. It's more your emotional internal nature, right? Kind of well, cooking this stuff dreaming up. and thinking? At the moment you're thinking, Chris is sitting opposite me. Now, how does that relate to external reality? Right? The thoughts inside you it does correspond to something, because I'm here. Now, if I have a dream, again, it's something inside me. Mm -hmm. 
it doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean, therefore, it doesn't refer in some way to the external world, but it refers to the external world as you experience it, right? Dreams about you, but not actually about quantum physics, mm -hmm. by and large. Mm -hmm. So I think one has to get right around what's happening in dreams. I mean, but not mystical experiences necessarily, or something we can't understand, but they can have a very profound impact on people. Certain purposes of sleep people are discovering, but doesn't seem to be any deep, uh deep meaning to dreams, it's just electrical firings. Well, that's true of your ordinary noisy dreams, but these big dreams are quite different from that. There's a long story being told, so something's going on somewhere which is uh, you know, quite coherent. I mean, let me tell you something very personal, if I may. Um, when I was a student, I was having lots of problems. I became very depressed and was really quite ill. And it turned out that I had a focal lesion in my right temporal lobe. So in a technical sense, I had temporal lobe epilepsy. I never had fits. Now, the neurologists who were involved me would have said, aha, the reason why Chris gets these mystical feelings is because the right temporal lobe is firing. Which is true, but does that mean that therefore there's no connection with reality? No, not necessarily. After when I see you, my optical nerve is firing. Does that mean there's no external reality? No, it doesn't. Of course not. So it's just we're not used to thinking about uh, these sort of mystical things in that way. So what you're saying is that if you, the, the brain is, is uh, you can interpret it two different ways, mm. whether there is a reality to it or whether the brain is just causing the nonsense. Some very distinguished creative people suffered from temporal lobe epilepsy. Dostoevsky, for example, very famously did. Um, many people think Van Gogh did as well. So. Now, you have to ask yourself, if these people produced what are generally regarded as very fine creations, is it just random firing of the brain that led to that? Well, you could say so, I suppose, but there's something a bit incoherent about that belief, actually, because we do accept that people with um, temporal lobe epilepsy, if you like, get mystical feelings, but they also produce creative works, which we accept as being very fine creative works. So something's going on that is actually uh, useful, I would say. Big dreams, Chris says affect you. And even if mystical experiences in dreams or in waking life are caused by electrical storms in the brain, so what? Chris is defiant. The experiences themselves are real. Real? What's real? Really felt? Sure. Really connected to some external grand reality? Well, that's a quantum leap. I'm torn. My science self says dreams are brain biology housekeeping. My mystical self says, I hope there's more. So far, my science self is winning. But am I being too rigid? What about links between dreams and consciousness? Dreams are about things. What things are most emotional? Nightmares. Most bizarre? Precognition, seeing the future. I go to Boston to speak with an expert on the evolution and neurobiology of sleep, Patrick McNamara. Patrick, to understand consciousness, we have to understand dreaming. Dreams, if you think about it, have a lot of very strange kinds of manifestations, from nightmares to people think they can predict the future in their dreams, the historical things. As a scientist looking at dreams, how do you look at some of these more uh, outlying activities? Hmm. 
Well, you mentioned nightmares, and I find them to be particularly fascinating for a theory of dreams. One of the characteristics you see of REM dreams in particular, and especially nightmares, is the presence of male strangers. There's going to be one or two or three maybe male strangers lurking in the background somewhere there. And if you score thousands of dream reports and you tabulate, whenever you get the presence of a male stranger, there's going to be physical violence in the dream. Mm. There's going to be some sort of aggression between two of the characters, or an animal might appear and create physical violence. So that's really interesting, huh? That's the beginning of really unraveling the content of dreams. Mm. Dreams are about something. Um, and there's lots of theories about what dreams are about. Freud has his. But this, this very simple fact, okay? Male strangers, you're going to get physical aggression. That's, that's a very reliable finding. And that tells me that, that dreams are not just bizarre, random yeah. things that just, you know, fluff of the mind at night. No, <laughs> there's something serious going on here. Yeah. What else can we see about nightmares? Nightmares tend to occur in REM sleep. And they tend to occur in, in people with certain personality profiles. Like what? Well, they tend to be women with thin boundaries. They don't separate themselves from what's going on around them too well. For somebody to call a dream a nightmare, there typically has to be some sort of what I call a demonic element in the, in the nightmare. Mm. A monster. Mm. Not, not just a male stranger, not just a threatening figure, yeah. but something monstrous, something that really starts to incite terror. Mm. And that's when the nightmare really starts to have effects on daily activity as well. And if you follow somebody who has repetitive nightmares and you follow them over a couple of years, you watch what happens with this demonic elements. The first, the first reports are he is off in the background somewhere and he's threatening the dreamer somehow. But in, as, as the dream reports come, the demon or the monster gets closer to the dream self, to the dream ego, to the dreaming person. Now he's in the same room as the person. And then the nightmares, nightmares get worse and worse. And the, you know, that's when they start to go see a doctor. And then the, the demon or the monster is now right in front of them and is threatening to do something to them. And then finally, the, the demon or the monster is chasing them, and they're going to possess their consciousness. Mm. So what, what are the implications of that in terms of the nature of consciousness? I would say what it indicates is that nightmares and dreams in general are about the self. The monster's interested in the self, in you. Mm, mm. <laughs> he's not interested in other things going on. He's, he's after you. Yeah. He wants to devour your identity uh. and, until you're dissolved away. Uh. You know, it's probably what a schizophrenic feels when, when they're having, a, having an episode of psychosis. Like they're literally just fragmenting away. And that's what nightmare sufferers report as well. So what that suggests in turn is that dreams and nightmares are about the self. It, it's about constructing a self. Mm. If um, what's going on in repetitive nightmares is a dissolution of the self, and you know, what we're really talking about is the breakdown of the dreaming mechanism. That's what nightmares are. Then what the dreaming mechanism probably does on a normal basis is build up this self-structure. And you need that self-structure during the daytime for consciousness. So I would make the argument that dreams are absolutely fundamental to day daytime consciousness. What about um, people who, throughout history, who've reported some uh, psychic aspects of dreams? I don't know about that. I don't think the, the, there have been good studies on it. To, I don't think we should just dismiss them as you know, coincidences. 
When you, when you read report after report after report, down through the centuries, every culture reports these quote-unquote precognitive dreams. There's something to it. I don't know what. I'm not saying that these dreams do predict the future. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there's something interesting going on, and it's not been rigorously investigated yet. So looking at the totality of, uh, of dreams, especially these, uh, these bizarre offshoots, the nightmares, the precognitive dreams, you really can't understand consciousness without dealing with this. I, I completely agree. You can't understand the self without dreams, and you can't understand consciousness without understanding the self. So to really get at you know, the nature and functions of the self, it's worthwhile looking at dreams because dreams are very intimately involved in constructing what Freud called the ego identity. Does the dance of dreams affect the cadence of consciousness? What is it about consciousness that enables dreams to be sensed and felt, even though we are, well, unconscious. Are dreams only an artifact of brain maintenance? No more meaningful than the hole in the middle of a donut. Not likely. Dreams are something more. Are then dreams a window to higher spiritual realities? Also not likely. Dreams are something less. Only twice in my life did I have dreams that I thought might have real-world impact. In both cases, I was wrong. My dreams had no impact. Yet, if dreams help establish or protect the self, and if the self helps engender or empower consciousness, then perhaps dreams do affect consciousness. To solve the mystery of consciousness, could dreams be a clue, taking us closer to truth? To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.